0: of the dishonest steward, the dishonest manager. I have to tell you that I went and read a bunch of commentaries on this. I read about four different commentaries, the people who write commentaries about the biblical narratives and so on, and none of them agreed on what Jesus was trying to say. So it was kind of like a crapshoot reading what they were trying to say. So I figured if they're having a crapshoot reading, what? why can't I just do something like that to this morning? I have to tell you that I think the author, Luke, the author of this uh, gospel, Luke, uh, doesn't quite know what to do with it. Notice what he does at the very end of our reading after we talk about the dishonest steward. He says, uh, he says um, three things. He has three conclusions for it. Uh, be like the shady steward and make friends with unrighteous money so when it fails, you'll have friends. Number two, you must do well with little so you can be entrusted with more. And number three, you can't serve God and money. He has three conclusions for the same story. So I don't think that even Luke got it. I don't think he got the point of the parable, and perhaps that's just the whole thing. It's not intended to have a point. I love this parable because every time I read it, I understand it differently. Every time I read it, I see something differently in it, and it causes me to examine how I understand Scripture. So I'm going to offer for you uh, three thoughts on this particular uh, parable for your consideration this morning. The first thing is this. As I've always said to you, Context determines content in the biblical narratives. Context always, always determines content. At the end of chapter 15, this is the beginning of chapter 16. At the end of chapter 15, what we find is a parable of the prodigal son. And there are two words that connect the parable of the prodigal son with this particular parable. And the word is squander. It shows up in both of them. And it's almost like Luke wants to drive the point that he started driving in the 15th chapter of Luke's gospel and continues with the story for today in the 16th chapter of Luke's gospel and the one that we're going to read next Sunday, which is the second half of, uh, of the 16th chapter. And what I, I think what he's trying to drive is that, uh, that it's all about the availability of God's grace. That it's all about the availability of God's grace. It's not about respectability. It's not about accountability. It's all about the availability of God's grace. Always, always about that. And He wants us to remember it. And He drives that, He almost draws, He creates a parable that's so big, that is so out of boundaries that you can miss the point. But I think the invitation is for you to consider, like the prodigal son who squanders, this guy who squanders, it's about the availability of God's grace, and it's not about respectability. It's not about accountability. It is about God. It's not so much about you. The second thing which I want to point out to you today, perhaps, is that uh, it talks about uh, the word quickly shows up. And I think what Jesus may be inviting us to consider is that you need to make your commitment to Christ now. Don't wait. Don't wait for another week. Don't wait for another month. Don't wait for a later time. I think Jesus is inviting you and me to commit ourselves to our faith once more today. To make a decision for Christ and to make a decision for our faith today and not to leave it for another day. I don't know how many of you have uh, been over to the Sistine Chapel, but there is Michelangelo's uh, The Last Judgment. I don't know if you've ever seen The Last Judgment, but in The Last Judgment, one of the figures that really caught my eye was there's a guy who's being dragged down to hell with one hand over his eye and a look of incredulity in the other eye. And in that uncovered eye, what I sensed that Michelangelo was driving was a look of dire recognition. It was like he understood about his life but too late. I once heard William Sloan Coffin said, say this that hell is truth seen too late. I think what Jesus is inviting you and me, don't leave it for another day. Make your decision for Christ today, recommit today. This is the only day you have that God has given you. Don't wait for another way, don't wait for another week. When I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, I've told you this to this congregation many times, that I used to belong to a group of assistant clergy, the downtown assistant clergy of the different churches. And it was a Baptist, and there would be a, a Roman Catholic, and there would be a Presbyterian, there would be a Methodist and all of that, and they were always, the Catholic wasn't, but the other ones were hammering on me all the time because he kept saying, you know, the problem with you Episcopalians is you never have an altar call. You guys never have a a rally in those days. It was called an evangelistic rally. You remember in the language of the South, it was called hitting the sawdust trail. You remember that? those of you who have lived in the south hitting the sawdust trail and what it was that there would be a preacher they would invite a very fine preacher who would come to that service and he would stand up there and he would go and tell you "You you're not to do it now you need to commit yourself to christ now you can't wait for another day we want you to commit to christ now come on forward come on forward come on forward come on forward and people would come forward to commit themselves to christ at that time Well, I had a hard time answering that because we don't do that in the Episcopal Church. But it finally dawned on me that perhaps we don't have a sawdust trail in the Episcopal Church. What we have at St. John's Church is a hardwood trail. The hardwood trail is you're going to get out of your pews in just a little while, and you're going to have to make a decision about whether you're going to come up here to take communion or not. And I suggest to you that as you prepare yourself to do that, ask yourself the question, what does this mean for me? What does this have to do with my faith? Do I on an every Sunday morning at nine o'clock at St. John's Church recommit myself to my faith? Am I able to say I am recommitting myself to Christ on an every Sunday basis as you come to St. John's Church in this very fine establishment? I think that's what we're doing. And I think what Jesus is saying to you, think about it. Think about it today. Think about it, how you commit yourself to Christ and then come forward. Hit the hardwood trail and come forward and recommit yourself to Christ. And the third suggestion that are this, I think, you know, Jesus had the Beatitudes. Blessed are the peacemakers. You remember all those, all the Beatitudes? Maybe he forgot one. And today he's trying to make up for it because I think he's almost telling us, blessed are the clever, don't you think? Blessed are the clever. And by clever, I don't mean unjust. By clever, I mean the wise. I think he's inviting us, once you've committed yourself, to use all that you know about your life and use it on behalf of the gospel. I think that pious people can become too spiritual. They become so spiritual that they are no good on earthly matters. Sometimes, I think once we commit ourselves to Christ, we try to be more spiritual than God. And sometimes, in trying to be more spiritual than God, we end up in the language of the rhyme of the ancient marital "Idle as a painted ship on a painted ocean. Biblical spirituality is not about striving to be more godly, but rather to be more deeply human, to be involved in the affairs of this world, and to do it with all the skills that you have. Reinhold Niebuhr, who's the birth of a theological system called the Christian Realism, wrote a whole book entitled Children of Light and Children of Darkness. And he encouraged all of us, children of light, to use everything we have within our powers to be able to bring the gospel to bear in a world that sometimes is consumed by the children of darkness. It's a wonderful little book if you ever want to take it on. And I really like Reinhold Niebuhr's take on that. You know, there's a joke that goes around that goes like this. When is a business person not a business person? The answer, when they join the vestry of the Episcopal Church. And by that is that once you become a vestry member, you sort of want to put on a patina of piety. And you leave all your knowledge and everything you know about this business world somewhere else, but you don't want to apply it into the life of the church. I always tell vestry people, you know, you're invited to be on the vestry because you're a business person, especially in a congregation like this. You know a lot. Exercise your leadership on the things that you know to make this church a better church, a more effective church, a more powerful church, a more outstanding church. The invitation is to use all that we know as children of light as we confront the children of darkness, and it can only be done if we incorporate all of those things that we know in our lives and apply it to our life of faith. Some years ago, I, was, uh, I, spoke, I used to teach at uh, the Seabury Western and the uh, program there for Congregational Development. And I kept using the words effective and successful when talking about clergy and leadership in the church. And I want to tell you, there was a palace revolt every time I brought that up about being effective and successful and what always came back to me everybody would say no I'd rather be faithful than effective and successful and I said well why can't you be faithful and effective and successful I told them I said you know we the Episcopal church have mastered the art of the small church don't you think it's about time we learned something new isn't it about time we took some risk as clergy leadership in the church so that we can be more effective proclaiming the gospel in our own place and in our own land? I'll tell you a clever event in our life here at St. John's Church. I didn't do it. Peter Mayer, you remember Peter Mayer, who was the assistant here at the church? And we were trying to figure out how to start a young adult ministry at St. John's Church. So one time he comes up to me and we didn't have a large enough group with enough emails to create a a young adult ministry. So he said, you know, I have an idea. Why don't we rent a bar over at 9th and G Street and rent it for a couple of hours and we'll have a happy hour and we'll invite people to come. And we'll tell those young folks, if you bring a friend, you don't have to pay any money. If If you come by yourself, you have to pay $25. So to me, what do you think? And I said, well, it's worth giving it a shot. He said to me, will you cover my back if the vestry gets upset? And I said, oh no, you're on your own on that one. (laughs) So we went ahead and did it. And we collected enough names to what we now call Latrobe Fellowship. Let me tell you, it's not in the books. It was never in the books. And we couldn't figure out, but we were willing to try something outside the books, something that quite frankly was quite risky because it deals with alcohol to be more effective proclaimers of the gospel with a new generation. I don't know what you take from this parable. What you take from it is probably as good as anything that I can take from this parable. But I offer for your consideration that I think this parable is inviting us to consider that it's all about the availability of God's grace. It's not about respectability, and it is not about accountability It's about a decision to make today for your faith. To be faithful, to accept Christ, to come forward, be part of this communion, and be prepared to proclaim the gospel as effectively, as powerfully, and I would suggest as successfully and clever as you can. Amen.